Welcome to the Distinctive Christianity Podcast, where we are comparing creedal Christian thought with Mormon thought. And I am so excited to do, be doing this first bonus episode. I wanted to start with our early church father, Augustine, who's Bishop of Hippo. About 397 AD, Augustine confessed that he had considered his mind to have been divine. And for those that know their history, he came out of a Gnostic system that's going to actually be pretty relevant to what we're talking about today. And uh, this is his quote, What was more proud than for me to have asserted wondrous madness that I was something naturally what you, God, are? For although I am changeable, and this was manifest to me by my very desire to be wise, so that from a worse state I could become better, I was nevertheless preferring even to suppose that you are changeable rather than that I was not what you are. In a tractate Augustine later wrote against the Manichaeans specifically, he said, There cannot be a greater sign of pride than that the human soul says that it is what God is, while it still groans under such great burdens of vice and unhappiness. Well, today I am joined with my pastor, OPC minister here in Utah, Jason Wallace. Thank you so much for being here. Skyward, wonderful to be with you. I'm so excited to do this interview. Let's... Let's start with, why are you here? What, what led you to be recognizing Christ as Lord, and what led you into the ministry? Well, I grew up in the heart of the Bible Belt. I'm from Statesboro, Georgia, a small town, not quite as small as it used to be, but I grew up around Christianity, but was never really active in a church until I was 14 years old. I I was surrounded by faith. My, my grandmother was a Pentecostal who prayed for me every day of my life uh, until she died when I was 12. But we, for a variety of reasons, just n- never went to church. I considered myself a Christian. I flirted with atheism like a lot of teenagers do. But when I was 14, a girl down the street invited me to a Baptist church, and so I went and my father was convicted that he had not been more of a spiritual leader. And he said, we'll take you next week. And so started going to uh, Baptist church. I'd, I'd gone to Seventh-day Adventist church schools. Um, that was the only alternative to the public school system at the time in my hometown uh, when I first started. And my father was very frustrated with the state system and so I went there didn't realize it was preparing me for ministry in Utah but uh, we were never Seventh-day Adventists but I I learned their basic stories about Ellen G. White and things like this Uh, knew that that really wasn't true but when I was 14 started going to a Baptist church uh, the, the church I was in was very convinced that the rapture was just about to happen And, yeah, this is very big, late 70s, uh, late great planet Earth was big and things like this. I thought being a Christian meant I was going to be serious about Jesus. And so there really wasn't a whole lot taught theologically. I remember asking my pastor one time, um, 
tell me about the Trinity. He said, the Trinity is a mystery. That was it. And so basically was very involved, a lot of social activities, things like this. Uh, Started college early, graduated college, moved to Savannah, got a job, was semi-active in a church down there. I met a young lady when I was 23 years old that was a very pretty, very competent waitress at Bennigan's Restaurant. And I asked her out on a date. She agreed. And I went to pick her up, and there were all these other people living in the same apartment, guys included, which I thought seems fairly strange. And she told me she was part of a group called the Way International. And thankfully, my father raised me to be a bit of a cynic, and so I I was careful about what I believed and didn't believe on these things. But they invited me to a Bible study and started having some, some Pentecostal kinds of words of knowledge and things like that, and I'd seen that in other quarters. But I began to realize something was off and started researching them a little bit and realized that they denied the deity of Christ. Wow. And so I, they were love-bombing me at the time. You know, they making me very welcome, going out of their way, trying to build me up and all this stuff. And so I, I sort of pushed the envelope faster than they normally do and started asking them about, you know, do you deny that Jesus is God? And they're like, yes. In fact, their uh, founder's book is Jesus Christ is not God. Wow. And they claim to be Christian, to be clear? Oh, yeah. They claim to be the restoration of the one true church. Wow. Uh, Basically, this guy said that God spoke to him in an audible voice one day and told him that all the churches were wrong, and he was going to restore the one true church through him. And, of course, it's a resurrection of old heresies, including Arianism. Sounds familiar. Yeah, I mean, it's just repackaging, um, dressing up old old lies. Nothing new under the sun. With new makeup. But anyway, I asked them about this, and the young lady started quoting chapter and verse, shredding everything I'd ever been taught. And I'm sitting there sputtering, doesn't it say somewhere in John something like, uh, I, I didn't know my Bible? And so... I got embarrassed. I asked around a little bit and had somebody say, well, you need to read Walter Martin's uh, Kingdom of the Cults. You need to do this and that and the other. But I got, I got embarrassed that I could fake my way through Sunday school, but I didn't know the Bible. I had picked at it. I had done my inspirational verse for the moment kind of thing. I had, I knew a little bit here and there, but I didn't never actually taking it extremely, you know, seriously. And so I started reading the Bible as if actually my soul depended on it. I was the youngest of three. My older brother had been the rebel. He had grown up during the 60s, 70s, and was the sex, drugs, and rock and roll kind of rebel. I was sneakier with the things I did. I was... good student, you know, I, I was considered the good kid. 
and I knew that I was a sinner. I could I could rattle off, you know, I'm a sinner. I know Jesus is the Savior of sinners, things like this. But as I actually started studying the Bible, it was like a light came on. And the things that I had known in just bare outline form were driven home to me in stark detail. I saw myself in the light of God's holiness, and I realized I was worse than my brother had ever dreamed of being, probably. My sins were in my head and my heart, and the Lord showed me who he was, and he showed me who I was. And then he reminded me that Jesus was the Savior of sinners. It was, it was liberating. I mean, I, it drove me to my knees in tears, and it, it, it lifted me up in joy. And we had a pastor at the Baptist church where I was that had been teaching the doctrines of grace very carefully. It was very controversial. They ended up driving him off. And I didn't realize what doctrines of grace even were at the time. But uh, he planted seeds, and the Lord blessed. And soon after that, I, through some spooky providences, got led to a church I never thought I would ever darken the door of. Uh, it was a Presbyterian church in downtown Savannah. And I went to a lunch service with someone basically to fulfill an obligation. And I heard the word expounded. And I would like to say that immediately the light came on and everything made sense. And it, it didn't. But um, the Lord kept leading me back there. And I kept hearing a depth to God's word that I never heard before. And so um, one of the things that had been going on in the meantime was that I had wanted to go back and share what I had found with these people I had met that were part of the way. And people were telling me, don't waste your time. Nobody can reach those people. I'm like, God reached me. Yeah. And so I went to a Reformed church for the first time, and it blew my mind. They were, instead of there being a passage just to, as a springboard into a moral lecture or you know, something dealing with politics or culture or something like that. It was, I mean, there was application, but it was the exposition of God's word. About the same time that that happened, I was really longing to see these people reached with the gospel. And so I was watching um, the John Ankerberg show. I was reading Walter Martin, things like this. And, um, I had a chance to do some training with work, and so uh, February of 1988, I could either go to Memphis, Tennessee, or I could come to Salt Lake for this training. Well, I chose Salt Lake, and I spent much of the week here going on all the tours down at the temple, and I uh, ended up going to Sandra Tanner's bookshop back when it was in her, uh, in her parlor of her, of her home. And I, I think I gave a hernia to the baggage handler uh, <laughs> on my way back home because my suitcase was packed with books uh, from, from Sandra. Sandra's great. She's a hero of this show, to be oh, clear. Oh, Sandra it, Tanner is... She has been a, such a blessing. Absolutely. God has I, used her. I, uh, I interviewed her six or seven times, I think, over the years uh, on the ancient paths. And she, she's been a great encouragement. 
uh, I, I told her, I said, you know, to a great extent, we're building on what you and Gerald did. Absolutely. And um, so anyway, um, I came out here and I, I talked to Mormons and I realized that Mormons were basically like I was. They were religious, but they didn't know Jesus. And so I got back to Savannah after the training, and shortly thereafter, they moved Mormon missionaries in two doors down from me in my apartment complex. Providence? Yeah. God, God does spooky providences because I got a thick head. But <laughs> anyway, um, so I got to know these guys as they would rotate them in and out, and they were typically from you know places like Orem, yep. Provo, and Spanish Fark, and... <laughs> <laughs> few from Arizona, things like this. And, and so, um, sorry, I didn't mean to make fun of pronunciation. <laughs> but at any rate, um, so got to know those guys. And, you know, new convert, I, I was brimming with zeal, and I tried to show them all the reasons Mormonism was, was a lie. And sort of got out of my system there a lot of the immaturity, thankfully, that I see in, in others. I came to the realization, uh, working with them and working with other unbelievers, it's not really a matter of ignorance primarily. I mean, ignorance does play a role that needs to be addressed. But people are actively suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. You know, Romans 1. And I, I read a book by Mark Cares, excellent book, um, Speaking the Truth and Love to Mormons. And, but I came to realize that the, the Lutheran approach, it's like in the Reformation, the Lutheran approach dealt with a va valid symptom of works righteousness in terms of dealing with Rome. But it, was, uh, but it wasn't the fundamental issue. The fundamental issue was idolatry. And you know, I came to the realization, if your God is an exalted man, works righteousness makes perfect sense. And so I got to know these guys. I started praying. You know, I, I, as soon as I got home, I started praying for these guys, and, or for Mormons, and then the Mormon missionaries show up and, the Lord just kept putting Mormons in my path. And I was a number cruncher by profession. I, I worked for 13 years for the city of Savannah, basically in budgeting. I was extremely socially awkward. Public speaking was the scariest thing I could imagine. I, I would get tongue-tied and everything else. I wouldn't be able to tell on Sundays, for the record. God has a sense of humor. <laughs> he, he delights to put his treasure in earthen vessels. But basically, the Lord just kept opening doors and shoving me through them. And, you know, I realized it's one thing to know the truth, but we're called to, to speak the truth in love. Mm -hmm. And so I ended up going to seminary with the hope of being able to be of service to the church. I, I, when I started, honestly, I didn't think I was gifted to be a pastor. I uh, submitted myself to my presbytery to have them judge my gifts. You know, was I gifted for this? But I actually went to seminary with the hope of coming out to Utah and being able to help the church, if not be a pastor. And so I uh, worked full-time, went to school full-time, 
Um, when I was moving towards this, I met my wife. And within six months, in the proper order, we met, fell in love, got married, got pregnant. And all of a sudden, the ideas of juggling finances and living in a hole in the wall in Philadelphia was not quite so feasible. <laughs> you know, it's one thing to do that to yourself. I wasn't going to do it to my wife and child. And the Lord seemed, you know, I prayed, Lord, if this is what you want me to do, please show me something that I can do. And I had been taking a class from uh, Gordon Conwell by extension. This is pre-internet days. Um, they sent me a, a book of cassettes wow. <laughs> and a workbook. And so I take, I was taking a class through them because it was half the price, but it would be accepted as an elective at Westminster. But I found out that they had opened a campus in Charlotte, North Carolina, which was 250 miles away. And so I started, um, I prayed about it, realized all their classes were intensive. And so I could go up I can leave after after lunch on Friday, drive up, you know, take half a day off. And uh, we went to class from 7 to 10 uh, Friday night, all day Saturday, and then would hop back in the car and get back to Savannah. And so I did that for three and a half years. And graduated seminary, um, was originally called to go to Provo. I was trying to stay out of the politics and the denomination that I was part of. Um, my presbytery issued a call, but they ran into problems within the denomination. There were people who didn't want to see a traditional church anywhere in Utah in that denomination. And so my presbytery basically said, you know, we're going to try to deal with these guys, but you don't need, you're going to have enough people shooting at you. Um, I think the nominal Protestant population in Utah County was. 0.5% of the time. You know, I think it's up to now two-thirds of 1%, but at any rate, <laughs> you know, that's nominal. Incredible growth, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, it's 50% growth in 25 <laughs> years. But anyway, uh, keep that up. <laughs> anyway, uh, so I um, they encouraged me to look towards um, the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, which is a sister denomination. Uh, the my denomination had come out of the Southern Presbyterian Church, and the OPC had come out of the Northern Presbyterian Church. And so I, I, I joke that in God's sense of humor, you know, I ended up with the Yankees. <laughs> but um, is this Southern part? This is Terry Johnson, correct? Yeah, Terry's part of the, the Presbyterian Church in America. Okay, and it's that's the church in Savannah that's come up a couple times in the story so far. The the pastors are all PCA. Um, the church is still independent. Uh, it's one of those weird Southern um, Reformed history things. Right. It was founded for all the dissenters from the Church of England agreeable to the Westminster Confession. And so, like the dissenting churches used to be when being persecuted by the Anglicans, Baptists, Congregationalists, and Presbyterians ended up all being persecuted and all sort of bunching together. Uh, eventually, the um, I think it was first, the Baptists split off in 1800 and took the pastor with them. And then in, I think, the 1820s, the Congregationalists split off to do a more Congregational church. And then the Presbyterian, a group of Presbyterians split off 
1830 to form First Presbyterian Church. So the church is still independent and Presbyterian, which is a yeah, contradiction it, in terms. But you, don't, but you don't you don't argue it with them after. Okay. Yes. Yeah, they've been at it for um, 267 years, and so you, you know after a certain point, it's like, what's the point? And it goes back to Whitfield, correct? Yes, yes. It goes Whit- back to George Whitfield. Whitfield was instrumental in the founding of that church. He had he had been the um, rector, I believe is the term for uh, Christ Church. The original Anglican church there. He followed Wesley, who was his friend. Wesley had been the first um, rector of Christ Church. Made a total mess of it. Um, claims he wasn't converted until after he left, and then later said he wasn't even converted then, but that's another story. It is. But Whitfield um, saw the need for a, a church for the dissenters, and um, so he got Lady Huntington to help with the financing of that. Awesome. And we've, uh, for listeners, we've linked to some of Terry Johnson's sermons in the notes to some of the episodes we've done. I'm a big fan of, especially his John series, Luke series. He's an incredible uh, expositor of scripture. Reformationtoday.org is a website that has a lot of his resources for free. It's, it's a, he's very faithful, godly pastor, tremendous blessing. I, I sat under him for 10 years um, I'm coming up on my 25th anniversary here. He's coming up on his 35th anniversary. Wow. And there. if I remember correctly, you... Actually, just had it. Wow. Wow. And, um, yeah, and 25 years for you in com- in this coming April, right? Yes. Oh, that's amazing. Well, we're having the party in April because I'm going back to Georgia on vacation. But um, May 13th will actually be the anniversary of, of pulling into the valley. Okay. I'm sorry, May 5th. Okay. So... We had, <laughs> no, you're good. So we have, I just wanted to put some landmarks on there just because yeah. Terry Johnson's so great. And then Gordon Conwell grad. Right. You're caught up in some PCA politics, if it's okay, if I say oh, the denomination's name. Sure. And then you go into the OPC. Right. And you bring the OPC to Utah. Yes. We, my call was originally to Provo because I was trying to stay out of the politics. Um, PCA was moving in a much more new school direction. Um, the the church they had already in Salt Lake was doing headbanging rock and roll video clips, interpretive dance. <laughs> um, I, lots of things going on there. But I, um, when I wasn't under that pressure, there was also a group that had had the rug pulled out from under them by Northern Cal Presbytery that had wanted to start a church in Salt Lake, and they told them no. And so I'd worked with the fellow that had had been trying to lead them, and he was going to be leaving the state, but he said, you know, they want a reformed church. Well, a few of them did, typically not the ones that stayed for very long in Utah. They were here for school or various things. Um, But um, I remember... One guy came to the first Bible study and never showed back up. Two years later, he called me up and said, you know, I always prided myself on seeing how worldly I could be and still be a Christian. He said, I knew from the first Bible study that didn't fit here. And he he said, you know, over the last couple of years, I began to reconsider the wisdom of that perspective. Yeah. But, you know, we tried to pick up the pieces, and um, not many of them stayed for very long. Uh, there were some other people here 
that had been looking for a reformed church. So we, we started basically trying to pull people in who were looking for what we were trying to do and then reach out to people who might have those sympathies because there really wasn't a confessional reformed church at the time. Uh, the Christian reformed church um, pastor told me they didn't want to be known as reformed. They wanted to be known as evangelical. And they had clearly moved away. One of their pastors said he found the um, their confessional statement repugnant. Um, that is being the Heidelberg Catechism. Uh, the canons, uh, canons of Dort. Oh, wow. And so, you know, they had moved in a very different direction. PCA was technically confessional, but and the PCA in, in the South was much more conservative than the PCA out here. And so, you know, our, our understanding, we were trying to start a church that read the Word, taught the Word, preached the Word, sang the Word, prayed the Word, made the Word visible in the sacraments. You know, just, just an old-school Presbyterian church. You know, there were some, some broad evangelical um, mainline Presbyterians, but there just wasn't anyone that was trying to do a reform church. And part of that was to minister to the saints that were already here, but my conviction was the reform faith was the only thing that would really answer to give an answer to Mormonism. Well, and I think even Joseph Smith and his anxiety saw that, right? <laughs> Oh, definitely. Uh, we, he, we, are yeah. the, we are the only ones singled out in the standard works. Yeah. You know, they, all the churches are wrong. All their professors are corrupt. All their creeds are an abomination. But pre, uh, in the same chapter, um, chapter one of Joseph Smith's history in the Pearl of Great Price, which I've been told has all the, the canonical authority of the Sermon on the Mount or the Ten Commandments, <laughs> um, it is part of the standard works. It says, Joseph Smith tells his mother, I've learned for myself Presbyterianism is not true. Absolutely. It's funny. In one of the talks in the curriculum we've gone through so far, they cite a Bednar talk that has Joseph Smith as the model for spirituality or whatever. And he cites that line but adds a period into the quotation. But if you click on the source, you'll see the full sentences. I know for myself because he had some experience uh, that Presbyterianism is not true. Compare that, so experience-based, self-based, um, even assuming there was an experience. Um, compare that to, for example, um, you know, we hold to the same confessions that the Presbyterians Joseph Smith hated <laughs> hold yes. to. And in those confessions, God validates himself and his word. Our experience doesn't authenticate anything. So that's pretty yeah. different. Yes. Pretty and different. One of the things that led me out here was the conviction that, you know, the Lord can use anything, but the, can, the, the approach that many evangelicals were using, uh, if, they, if they weren't, typically they weren't dealing with anything theological. It was just love and experience and things like that. And, you know, in my experience, the Mormons do that better than the evangelicals do. Yeah. Yep. If they were dealing with something theological, it tended to be works righteousness. And I didn't see anyone who was willing, or I didn't see many who were willing to tell people, you're worshiping an idol. Your God is a pitiful God. Yeah. You know, my God, the heavens of heavens can't contain him. 
Uh, this is this is what Solomon says when he dedicates the temple of Jerusalem. But that temple, you could stack up Mormon gods, you know, like cordwood. Right. Um, one place, one time. That's what their manual says. And the the Mormons back in the '90s seemed to be stressing a great deal. You know, they had such a high view of heaven. They were going to be like God. It was just. You know, um, and they had a they had a very low view of the Christian idea of being with God, and I've had more Mormons than I can count tell me that they would consider etern- eternity with God to be boring. And I said, if my God was an exalted man, I I would be boring too. Yeah, but my God's not an old man sitting on a on a uh, physical throne with a long long white beard, right? Um. And I, I've tried to preach the message. The God of the Bible is bigger, scarier, holier, more wrathful, and yet far more loving than Mormons have ever imagined. And so uh, we got out here. We tried to gather the saints to begin with, and then we've tried to reach out a lot over the years. Uh, there's not a lot of people looking for a Reformed church within the Christian community. Um, you know, we do weird things like we sing psalms. Um, Recite the Nicene Creed every week. Yeah, sing the Gloria Patri from, you know, <laughs> roughly 3rd century. Um, you know, glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Devil, Spirit. I want to sing it right now. And so, um, <laughs> you know, we, we do expository preaching. Um we don't do the exciting stuff that a lot of folks were looking for. Um, I've had a number of people say, you look like Mormons, um, meaning that very derisively, you know, because you know, we're, we don't have a rock band. We don't have a drama team. We don't have laser lights and, and, and smoke machines. Um, our conviction is you cannot make Jesus more manifest than through his word and his spirit. And so, you know, whether it's icons or statues or um, projections on a wall or whatever they want to do, you know, whether it's high church or low church or whatever it is, our conviction is God makes himself clear through his word. Yeah. And the spirit bearing witness by and with that word. Yeah. And Moses even says that on Sinai, right? You did not see, but you hear the word. Right. Uh, The Christian worldview is always emphasized the hearing over the seeing, over impressions, Faith and that is a huge, hearing. yeah, and that that is a huge distinctive with the the manual, and, and and anyone that questions this, they can look at the LDS manual, any LDS manual, but even this year's, very often they say present one of these pictures and then record your spiritual impressions or look, watch this video, by the way, which I was a set dresser on making of those videos, by the way, it's kind of weird. <laughs> it's kind of weird. I've never watched the videos, but I was a set dresser. And in fact, I was on the construction crew that um, helped build it out in the, uh, well, they say Magna, but it's actually not technically Magna. But, um, but anyway, they say, you know, show this video and then write, record your spiritual impressions. The, the, you know, biblical worldview has always prioritized the word and the spirit, not divorced from the word, but the spirit through the word. Yes. And the hearing of the word. Right. And that that's something that doesn't 
get driven home enough to Mormons. Mormons, they try to subject the word to their experiences they think come from the Spirit. And you know, many will thankfully tell them, yes, um, the Spirit speaks through the Scriptures. And if, you're, if, if what the Spirit, if a Spirit is telling you something different than the Scriptures, it's not the Holy Spirit. But there's more to it. The Spirit speaks by and with the Scriptures. It's uh, only Emmaus Road. The disciples did have their hearts strangely warmed, but it was as Jesus was expounding the Scriptures to them. Yes. It's, it's, not the, it's not the Spirit divorced from the Word or the Word divorced from the Spirit. It's together. Yes, and, and that's so key. And, and obviously it's not just us old-school Presbyterians. Uh, uh, here we are two Presbyterians in a Baptist church in Mormon land. I mean, this sounds like a joke. <laughs> so, so it's like, yeah, you know, it's a big, two, <laughs> or like uh, the founding or, or, you know, the idea for a Jack Chick track, you know, baby baptizers infiltrating the Baptist church. But uh, no, our brothers here, you know, First Baptist, they exposit the word verse by verse through yeah. entire books of the Bible in with the entirety of the Bible as a whole. And though we have differences they get this message. This is something that's more than just old school Presbyterians. This is anyone who cares for God's word as it makes itself relevant by the Spirit. Oh, I'm definitely. I, I've I've cherished the relationship I've had with Russ Robinson for years, and, and now with Brendan Scoggins, um, and with Ed Romine. Um, they are faithful. John Cower. Uh, yes. The, the, this First Baptist has been a blessing to us when. We were trying to start a mission work in American Fork, and COVID hit, and they shut us down. They just said you can't be here anymore, and so we, you know, it was supposed to be uh, what is it, two weeks to flatten the curve, <laughs> and so you know, I, yeah. I asked if we could meet here. Well, of course, that never, you know, the, the flattening of the curve didn't happen anytime soon. Yeah, it's but, almost like it wasn't really about that. But anyway, sorry. Uh, gee, you no think politics. So. You don't trust your government to, to tell you the whole truth all the time? Yeah. Believe in science, Jason. You sound, you sound like a Calvinist. <laughs> Doubting human nature. Yeah. Anyway. I mean, facts don't interpret themselves. Truly. But, um, yeah, the, this relationship, to some extent, it's an extension of the relationship I've had for most of the 25 years that I've been here with uh, James White. Uh, Dr. White was coming here before we ever got here. And... We discovered each other, and you know James is a died in the wool Baptist. I'm a died in the wool Presbyterian, and we both um, tried to answer one another in the areas that we disagree. Um, but we also can stand shoulder to shoulder and say, in terms of who is God, who is man, who is Christ, yes. uh, you know, what is salvation? We are in lockstep. And, uh, you know, his confession is literally word for word the same as ours in, in large sections. They tweaked it um, in a few areas. They think they improved it. I don't think they did. But it, uh, we'll, we'll have a Baptist <laughs> on to ask well, them what they think. We deal with those in private. Um, sure. But, um, no, I... Um, when you understand that we're a bunch of messed up sinners. We really are. Yeah, you know, we're not just sick in sin. We're dead in sin. Absolutely. 
And when you see the foolishness of God's people, Old Testament and New, and you look through church history and you see it all spelled out over and over and over, uh, on the one hand, I take theology very seriously. On the other hand, I think that we are, um, I think that we shouldn't expect perfection in a church this side of heaven. And so Christ has called us to love one another. Clearly there are lines that have to be drawn. The Mormon is not my brother. The Mormon has a different God, a different gospel. My God is not an exalted man who proved his worthiness for exaltation through obedience to work, uh, obedience to the law. Self-existent um, law. Yes. Yeah, law that... It's eternal. Law is not good or evil, it just is. And it's, this is the way you get to godhood. Um, right. And, you know, it, it's... The deeper you go, the more it looks like a canine fertility cult than it does biblical Christianity. Um, the Roman Catholic, is he my brother? No. It's a different gospel. If he's consistent with what his church teaches. Right. Which, today, and, you never know. Yeah. I mean, I've had Catholics tell me that they're looking to Jesus Christ alone for their salvation. I was like, you do understand your church teaches you otherwise. Right. Um, we're all works in progress, so I'm not looking for perfection. Um, I'm thankful that there are those who are clearly Christians. There are those who are clearly not. There are people in between that I, I try to always remember. It would be a bit better that a millstone be hung around my neck and I'd be thrown into the deep than to make one of Christ's little ones stumble. So, um, you know, I tell my brothers, you know, I'm going to pester you till the day I die to keep going back to the scriptures and hold everything, all your traditions up to the light of God's word. But don't think that doesn't don't think that I, uh, a disagreement means I don't love you. Yeah, and and that charge applies to us just as much. So it's, you know, it's not just something we're pointing at others. Yes. I think, you know, it's it's interesting. Um, looking at even the the unified commitment we have with our Reformed Baptist brothers of expositing entire books, it's one thing that strikes me in Mormon history is I'm not sure they've ever done that. I, I know recently there's a New Testament commentary series at BYU, and there's been drama over certain books that I've heard from drama. <laughs> but I've, I wonder if there's ever been a single Mormon leader at any point of their history that's ever gone verse by verse through an entire book of the Bible without and letting it speak. One, um, of, the, one of the things I've, I got disabused of fairly early when I first started sharing, trying to share the gospel with Mormons was, you know, I would tell them, the Apostle Paul says this. And they just look at me, you know, I, it was, I mean, it, it may, had no meaning to them because, of course, they believe many plain, plain and precious truths have been lost from the, the scriptures. Um, Mormonism isn't the religion of a book, any that's, book. That's true. Uh, the Book of Mormon doesn't have celestial marriage. It doesn't have baptism for the dead. It doesn't have many of the things that define the modern Mormon church. Uh, supposedly the most perfect church, or most perfect book <laughs> out there, blah, blah, blah. But um, the 
it's the religion of a man. And people need to understand that at least historically, uh, the, the, is, the um, I'm trying to remember, enjoy your youth. Um, <laughs> what is it the, about affirming the prophet? Was it Boyd Packer? Anyway, he said, um, the living prophet. Oh, Benson. Benson. The 14 Ezra, points of yes. following the prophet or something yes. similar. Yes. Um, there's a reason I take copious notes to remind myself what, <laughs> what I'm supposed to be remembering. But he said, you know, basically the, the living prophet trumps the, the standard works. And the living prophet trumps dead prophets. Yes. And so you get um, Bruce R. McConkie. You know, saying back in 78 when they had the new um, revelation on blacks and the priesthood. The Father God changed his mind about black people. Well, he said, don't, he said, you know, don't worry about what I have said before or what the prophets have said, you know, Brigham Young or anybody else has said. None of that matters. Yeah. And so... I can't imagine why they would expound the scriptures because they don't have really any real authority. Yeah. They'll grab them for stories. Um, the, this is one of the approaches I've tried to use. You know, Mormons seem to be inoculated against any kind of theological discussion. Uh, for many of them, it seems like abstract philosophy and some will engage you in it. I'm, I'm not doubting that, but Theology, uh, the, the, the didactic teaching parts of Scripture seem to be dismissed out of hand. So what I try to do is I try to share with them the stories from the Bible that aren't the matter of something, you know, a word here or there being changed, but stories they're familiar with. I, I show, you know, when I, when I can get to the conversation... Um, I tried to tell them, you know, let's look at, let's look at the flood. My God killed every man, woman, baby, kitty cat, puppy dog, and bunny rabbit on this planet. And they'll smile and squirm. And then I'll take them through and I'll show them Nadab and Abihu, Leviticus 10. Here are sons of Aaron. They are offering worship to God. God had said, here is how I will be worshipped. They decide they're going to worship him the way that they think best. God doesn't say, well, you know, I really appreciate you expressing your creativity in the image of God. And you must be to, sincere. Yes, you know? yes. I, you know, <laughs> Feels good, yeah, so yes, it must be it, good. You know, I, he doesn't tell them, I appreciate your insight that the letter kills, but the spirit makes free, you know, <laughs> it makes alive. And, you know, instead, God turned them into the incense. Yeah. The fire of the Lord went out and consumed them. God is a consuming fire. And that's New Testament, too. Yep. And so, um, yeah, the beginning of our order of worship is uh, the quotation from Hebrews, let us render acceptable service unto God with reverence and all. Um, the very next line is, for our God is a consuming fire. If by that point they haven't 
responded. I, I then tell them the story of Cora, Dathan, and Byram. And being a Southern boy, uh, if I if I let my Southern accent show through, I can play. They'll assume I'm even more ignorant than I actually am. <laughs> but uh, but I'll tell them the story of Cora, Dathan, and Byram. They're, they are Levites. They're of the right tribe, but they're not sons of Aaron. Yet they presume to take to themselves the Aaronic priesthood. Not that anyone would ever think of doing that, right? <laughs> and... God tells the people to withdraw from them. The earth opens up and swallows them and their household and their 250 followers who are burning incense in the worship of God. God turned them into the incense. I've never gotten past that story with a Mormon before. And sometimes they do it earlier, of course, but that's as far as I generally get before. Uh, I'll get some kind of response on the level of, that's not my God. And I say, that's your problem because yours is, yours is as real as the tooth fairy. Absolutely. Yep. And and this is something key to point out. I think it's, you know, and even a lot of Christians can give this impression, unfortunately, is they treat the Trinity like what you first heard in your life, right? It's just mm-hmm. a mystery. When it's the foundational doctrine, without Trinity, there is no Christianity. And if you get that wrong... You can believe in being saved by grace in Christ through faith, but if Christ is nothing more than a Zeus, how relevant is the gospel apart from the triune God who is a consuming fire but shows unimaginable love to his people? One of God's greatest gifts to me over the last 25 years has been Sean McCraney. (laughs) Uh, Sean has been poster boy for... People leaving Mormonism because they didn't get to be prophet. Yep. And what he has preached, even in his pre-heretical days, was basically me, my Bible, and my personal relationship with Jesus, which is whatever I define it to be. California Christianity. Lowercase C. I, w- I wasn't I was Christianity. Gonna, <laughs> I wasn't gonna use the term. Am I making but... enemies here? <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to be popular here for the podcast. Oh, it's. I think that's what Mormons. A lot of them think Christianity is. I, I did a show for over seven and a half years on TV twenty, which is a story in itself. I won't bore you with the details, but the station was founded by a word faith preacher. I mean, the extreme heretical side of Pentecostalism. Yeah, and he, his wife discovered he was financing not only the station, but his girlfriend, and so he got kicked out of the church, the station. Um, But they kept the station. I ended up being able to be on there for seven and a half years. And I got a little bit of hate mail, but generally the Mormons loved me. Um, They would come up to me and say, you're that guy. And I think implied in that is, you're the guy with the face for radio that that I see on my TV. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and they would say, you know, I'm faithful Mormon, but I w- love your show. And I tell them, you do understand, I'm trying to tell you that Joseph Smith was a false prophet who's leading you and your children to outer darkness forever. And they say, oh, we know that we have our differences, but we like your spirit. Um, part of that was I would tell them, if I was a Mormon, I would be hard-pressed to take my critics seriously. 
because I could look out there and I could find critics who were clearly unbiblical. Yes. Like Sean McCraney. Right. Here, here's someone, um, you know, he prides himself on not being part of any church anywhere. Yeah. And even a superficial knowledge of the scriptures show that there is a church. You actually had discipline within that church. Matthew you, you, 18? Yeah. I mean, if someone won't hear the church, let them be due as a heathen and a tax That's collector. words of our Lord Jesus. Yeah, and people think they can be more loving than Jesus in that. <sighs> but anyway, McCraney, um, he rejects any kind of visible church, uh, has worked very hard at conforming to uh, what Mormons would see as worldliness and what the scriptures would call worldliness. Um, he's admitted on his show he, he committed adultery as a, uh, as a televangelist. Um, but Denies the Trinity. Well, that comes later. But basically, um, you know, Mormonism, you have a visible church, you have a call to holiness, um, granted, it sounds a lot more like what Paul's condemning in Colossians, touch not, taste not, handle not. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, these are man-made rules. This isn't biblical holiness. But right. there's at least some overlap, uh, s- sexual immorality, things like this. There, are, There is some veneer of, of, of the Bible there. Of taking religion seriously. Yes. While yeah. many ex-Mormons, they've made themselves prophets. And what they're promoting is just a baptized way back into the world. I mean, and Delenn does it his own way. Yeah. Um, Delenn, uh, uh, he, I, I challenged him to a debate on atheism. He's like, I'm not an atheist. Or, you know, I've never said I was an atheist. And I was like, then what are you? you know, be, be straight up, be, be forward. But at any rate, um, now McCraney has presented a foil. I've been able to present the gospel against that. Um, People would tell me, you know, um, it it didn't matter if I told them that Joseph Smith was a counterfeiter, he was a liar. Here are all the the evidences. Here's what the Bible says in contrast with what Smith said. This is the important part. It's not... It, it's easy to show that he was a false prophet to anybody that has any definition of false prophet. Right. Um, but most importantly, it's a different God and a different gospel. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, and, and to be clear, he calls our God a monster. Yes. This is... Yes. So when people are like, well, he just respectfully disagreed, he calls what we recite every Sunday, the Nicene Creed, an abomination, which has a biblical connotation, meaning oh. the worst level of sin... And he calls who we worship a monster. Yes, and th- this is the thing. There, there's a, um, Bubba Smith was an NFL player. He he was used to be on the Bud Light commercials back in the seventies, um, palming a bowling ball supposedly, like a basketball, but it was a bowling <laughs> ball. But Bubba Smith had a classic saying that applies to Mormons. It all started when he hit back. Hmm. People, I would I would hazard a guess sixty percent of the responses I get from Mormons 
you're, you're, you're anti-Mormon, you're picking on us. We never do this. And I tell them, your standard works call my creed an abomination in the sight of God. It specifically says Presbyterianism is not true. Right. We don't go off in a corner whining and crying that you're anti-Presbyterians or Presbyterian bashers. We're making truth claims, and we should have to back them up. Yes. You know, we're honest. We respond. We, we tell everybody, let's get everything out on the table and assess it. No one has anything to fear from the truth but liars. Right. And they, um, they want to play the victim. They pick the fight. Yeah. And they make truth claims. We're willing to back ours up. Are they willing to back theirs up? No, right. they're not. And to be clear, too, um, the temple, which we'll get to, because I, we're going to get to your videos, and there's one I really want to focus on for a bit today. Okay. But in the temple, they used to have characters that represented <laughs> reform minister and Hire, a pope. Hirelings of Satan. And they were, dis, they were sidekicks to the Lucifer figure that's still there in the temple today. I, I think, you know, it is kind of weird. You know, they can, their leaders can call us the great and abominable church, mm-hmm. say, um, even recently, people think this is just ancient history. Wilcox, and I, I don't know if you've had this happen, all the time when you try to preach real grace, not just the opportunity to try again eternally to become like God, but like actual saving grace, they always throw this Brad Wilcox talk at you. His grace is sufficient. You know, if you're perfect, then I guess Christ can help you once you're perfect. Um, he got in trouble recently for a fireside for some racial comments. But if you actually watch the full fireside, he still says, you're, you, Jason, as a minister of Christ in the OPC, mm-hmm. are only in it for the money. Oh, yeah. He still says that. Oh, I, I Of course, did. he has a cushy job at BYU, but, you know, he'll attack you. Yes, I... Um I used to um, halfway joke that I would trade salaries with anybody working full-time. Pick anyone at random from the church office building, um, except for maybe the janitor, uh, maybe even you know, um, maybe the secretaries. But I'd trade salaries with anybody there. Um, we have... There, there's there's a catch-22 for pastors here. On the one hand, if you're pastoring a small church and you're struggling to make ends meet and you're trying to do the best you can with the resources you have and it's clear that you're not in it for the money, then you're a failure. God's not blessing. Hmm. But then if God is blessing and you actually have a decent facility and you actually... Uh, drive a car that's not worn out and you, you know, it doesn't look like you got your clothes from DI, then um, then you're a hireling of Satan. And so you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. Yep. It, it's And as a kid, I was told they're not paid. And of course, I don't hear that as much anymore since, you know, there's been leaked, you know, tax forms. And yeah, there, there's, there's popular mythology around all this <laughs> that... You know, it's all it's all so altruistic. Yeah. I, you know, to be clear, I do think they believe what they're saying. Oh yeah, at well, least most of them. Um, I mean, but it's just this. I don't like this game of 
the people playing victim constantly can throw shots our way all the time. Well, if you play victim, you don't have to think. You don't, you don't have to actually engage anyone's arguments. You get to vilify them and demonize them. Right. They're wicked people. Right. The, the, the typical LDS response is that I am ignorant or evil. Yeah. And then they don't have to listen to me. They don't have to listen to the arguments and actually respond. They can dismiss them because I'm, I'm either to be pitied as ignorant that if only I would just pray to know whether the Book of Mormon was true then I would know. And, you know, there are some people who say, okay, I've done that. To me, that's blasphemy. Yeah. Because God has spoken in the scriptures. Yeah. God speaks to me through those scriptures. I've had ex an experience through those scriptures. I know them to be true. And on the basis of... God's prophets and apostles, I know that Joseph Smith is a false prophet teaching another God and another gospel. Yeah. And it, it, is, it is a pitiful caricature yeah. of the biblical God, the biblical Jesus. The Jesus of the Bible isn't our elder spirit brother along with, along with Lucifer. Yeah. He, he is the infinite, eternal creator of the universe whom the holy angels cover their faces in his presence. Eternally the Son. Yes. Well, yes. I mean, it, it, yes, he, he is... Um, By nature, it, God. It, exactly. I'm not saying he didn't yeah, yeah, incarnate yeah, yeah. at a specific time, but... Sorry. I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> but, um, but anyway, no, it, 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 it's, it's a studied evasion to actually having to listen to truth claims. It is. We have nothing to fear from the truth. Jesus said, you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. I challenge Mormons. Let's do a debate. Yeah. I can't find... The only Mormons I can find who will do debates anymore are generally somebody, you know, writing a little blog somewhere that... Uh, or, you know, somebody like Kwaku, who's just going to get up there and rant. Yeah, don't... Please, I, we. By the way, we're not interested in debating Quaku. <laughs> That's got to stop. We got to stop debating. I, 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 I've advised people to yeah, just stop because it's not going to be helpful to because anybody. It's, he doesn't. It's not a debate. It's he not. just rants, and yeah. you know, a debate. We we put on debates uh, with James White. We put on a bunch of them, and Dan Peterson supposedly put out the word "no more debates." Wow! And we were told that what was then farms. It said no more debates. We managed to go around farms. We lined people up. As soon as they were announced, we get a call back. Debates off. Yeah. But we had Roger Keller. We had Gilbert Sharf. Roger Keller is professor at BYU. We had Gilbert Sharf's uh, PhD from BYU. He wrote the unofficial, semi-official response to the Godmakers back in the eighties. Uh, the truth about the Godmakers. He was the retired institute director at the uh, University of Utah. You can listen to these debates online. Uh, some of them you can see. We'll link to some of them in the show oh, notes. They're, they're wonderful. You know, um, they lost the video of the Gilbert Sharks debate, and it loses its drama when you see this elderly man leaning forward and simply saying, I don't know about very basic questions. Yeah. 
um, James kind of fussed at me that I didn't shut him down, but I was I was literally afraid he was about to drop dead. He just started shaking. But he was being asked very basic questions. How do you reconcile basic Mormon teaching on the fall with what the Bible says here? And he, he just leans forward. I don't know. Yeah, and to be clear for the listeners out there, and then I want to ask you about the anti-Mormon label that's inevitably going to be put on you. It's going to be put on people like Brendan and me. But for the fall, the fall really quick. Of course, uh, Mormons confess that the fall was actually not really a fall. Fall upward. Right? Yeah, it's actually a descent, I've heard it called. Well, well, and it's a good thing. One, one of the apostles called it a fall upward. I know McConkie called it the, one of the greatest blessings ever given to mankind. Right, so they, they deny Adam's imputed sin. They deny original sin. But then, in for example, and I've got here my textbook from being a missionary at the MTC, the Preach My Gospel. They realize, though, if the atonement is reversing a problem, um, but we don't actually think there was a problem, <laughs> that's a problem. So it, yeah. it's, it talks through both sides of its mouth, right? On one hand, yes. they want to be like, it was good. In fact, um, if you push it far enough, maybe the serpent was actually right in the text of Genesis 3, yes. which sounds like the Gnostics of old. Um, but on the other hand, they, they do have this sin consciousness based on all the rules of the church and the prophets and all that. Um, maybe sin might not even be the best word, but it's kind of weird because they see Christ atoning for something, but it can't be the fall because they don't have a fall. So, I mean, when you say basic questions, I just want to make this clear to both LDS, what we're aiming at, but also our evangelical listeners. This is what we're saying. Is the fall good? Because that has been the historic teaching of the LDS church. And, and that hasn't changed. There's been a lot of changes. We're going to get to a lot of changes in the temple, for example. But that that is something that's been consistent from, from Smith. Um, this anti-Mormon label, Jason, you've been here in May 25 years. What keeps you here? Because on one hand, people are going to th- put the anti-Mormon label and think you're just hateful. Um, because I think their view of loving is very feelings-based. On the other hand, it's tough being out here as a Christian. I mean, we're, this is going to be a theme through our interviews. We're going to interview other pastors. It's tough being out here. This is... for. What you know? So I, on one hand, how would you speak to LDS people that would hear the criticisms and take them personally? But you've been here twenty five years. Right? You don't have to be here. On the other hand, to Christians to kind of communicate maybe what you don't understand unless you've been here years. Years. It's probably too well, big a question, but I hope. Well. I'll, I'll be straight up. Uh, is there bitterness, anger on my part to some degree? Uh, you know, there are people who want to gush. I just love Mormons so much, and I just, you know, this and that. Uh, I, I, I try to be more circumspect. I'll be honest up front. Uh, the lies of Joseph Smith infuriate me. Yeah, as they do me. Here's a man who is a blasphemer who claimed to be a prophet of God, and he's lying through his teeth. And I see others who are not simply deceived. They know the truth, and they hate the truth, and they're leading people to destruction. Conversely, 
I see people who are being given something that's con- that's comfortable. And that they can they they look around the world, they see they see ungodliness all around them, they see unbelief, you know, the atheism, all this other stuff out there. They they see these things, they look at the their critics, and they don't look to the to the serious ones and to the ones who are uh, the the um, Sandra Tanners of the world and and, right. and those who are very careful and concerned with truth and still um, believe in God. Right. They they see the ones who are mocking them, you know, like um, McCraney wearing a headdress for uh, September fifth. You know, remembering Mountain Meadows kind of thing. You know, right, just right. mockery. You know, he dro- shows up April first wearing uh, a suit and his name. You know, uh, his missionary name tag. Um, it would be easy for me to look at people like that and say, "All my critics are like that. All my critics are are bad guys." But that's dishonest. Why am I here? Um. I can assure you that it isn't for the money. Uh, I was making more money 25 years ago working for the city of Savannah, doing a whole lot less work. Um, we have no special animus towards Mormonism. We have made, we, we've done debates and we've made videos dealing with atheism, Roman Catholicism, um, Islam, Seventh-day Adventism. Seventh-day Adventism, uh, making one right now in Eastern Orthodoxy. What we're concerned about is the truth. We're concerned about seeing people who are in bondage set free. By Christ. By Christ. Yes. And God love me in spite of myself. Whenever, Whenever I'm tempted to get frustrated with people playing the victim, people... Not wanting to, to, to listen. Um, you know, it used to be Mormons would actually argue with me. You know, they would actually recognize they were making truth claims, and you know they they would stop and talk. Um, I think most of the college students now are on Adderall or something, and you know <laughs> they just walk around in a, in a daze and. It's become um, much more postmodern. Oh, and it, insular. It's. It, it's it's very hard to get anyone to talk about anything that matters. But that being said, God has his people here. I've been privileged to see people. You know, you showed me a, a book just a moment ago, signed, you know, uh, Elder Skyler Hamilton. Yeah, Stephen Robinson's Are Mormons Christians that I used, yes. that I read. Um, and I wrote in it, Elder Skyler Hamilton. So, you know, to yeah. see, right here probably 40 percent of our congregation is former lds and so i'm not i'm not a highly gifted person but i've realized that tenacity can make up for the lack of a lot of other gifts i've watched a bunch of people come through utah over the years uh, i've been told and i think it's probably roughly correct that the average ministerial stay in utah is 18 months when i got out here a lot of the people who were professing to be reformed in their understanding of scripture, there were only a few, and many of them ended up making shipwreck of the faith. I've tried to stay here to show 
continuity. Like I said, you know, my, my home church has been going for 267 years. Wow. I think that's right. Yeah, since Whitfield. So. Um, Compare that to out here. There's like not roots. Yes. It's and, isolated geographically. It's isolated historically. It, this and, is, unless you've been here a long time, and of course been here with the perspective of Christianity, of this deep, these deep roots, uh, of course primarily in Scripture, but also just historically, it's hard to understand how different it is here, especially as a believing Christian. There's, there's a bunch of people, you know, when they come out of Mormonism, they don't know who to believe. No, they go New Age or, or New Atheist. Yes, and, typically, and we've dealt with atheism. We 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 had a, a major debate at the U back in 2019. <laughs> We're finally having the follow up. The follow up was originally 2020, but it got canceled due to COVID. But April 1st, we're actually having another big debate. James White and Jeff Durbin are debating um, Dean Chatterjee and Jared Anderson. Even the ones who gravitate towards the scriptures, they're not often presented with a historic understanding. Some end up gravitating towards Eastern Orthodoxy because it, it like Mormonism, it appeals to the senses in a different way. But it, it it's yeah. uh, the icons, the incense, the candles, the all these various things. They're they're claims that we are the Church Jesus founded two thousand years ago. Yeah. Um, no, they're not. Um, they're what they do can is demonstrably different from what the scriptures and the early church taught um, our next video. As you're going to say in your next video. And argue, I should say. Yeah. Mormon, Mormons have been taught that if Mormonism isn't true, nothing's true. Yep. And they say, look around, there's 45,000 denominations. Um, they don't tell you that they're counted like 200 times on that list. <laughs> um, it's a Gordon Conwell study that they keep citing, right? Yeah, it's, although it's, they keep exaggerating the number. Well, yeah, it, there are about forty-five thousand. The way that it's counted, I think it's the the Center for the Inter International Center for uh, Study of Church Growth or something like that. It's at Gordon Conwell, your your alma mater, yeah. right? So, um, but it, it's they count every country in which a church operates as a separate number and they count anyone who professes to be Christian and so you've got Roman Catholics counted I think 238 times or something like that because they have not, to register with the there, state there's right? there's more there's more with they operate in just about every country in the world but there are also multiple organizations under that umbrella so you've got the um Typical Roman Catholic, you've got the Melkite uh, Catholic, which is basically Eastern Rite, but recognize the authority of the Pope. In, in Lebanon and places like that, correct? Yeah, and in the U.S. Mm -hmm. Oh, interesting. And so you've got you've got all these things. They they they've told them, you know, the idea that the Bible's clear is patently false because look at all these people; they all disagree. We do the hard work of saying, let's look at where they disagree. Mormons, do you believe what you believe because the Bible's unclear? No. You believe it because you've added to it. Mm -hmm. um, 
many of the um, Pentecostal denominations. They think God is still speaking and that uh, apart from the scriptures, divorced from the scriptures. And so you've got groups, um, Roman Catholicism, the scriptures are considered infallible, but only interpretable by uh, infallibly by the church. Yeah. You, you've got all these various groups out there. When you get to the people who actually believe the Bible is the inerrant word of God, you've narrowed it down dramatically. Yep. And so you end up with differences between uh, Presbyterians. You've got some Presbyterians that have no musical accompaniment and sing only psalms. You've got Presbyterians who've abandoned the faith, like the, the mainline church. It's USA. You know, they, they will ordain um, homosexuals, lesbians. They'll ordain atheists. They They'll will have, uh, what was it, the uh, Asherah cakes? Yes, that was actually the... What the, was that, the liberal Lutherans? That was the Evangelical okay. Lutheran Church of America I think in that's San key Francisco. To, yeah, I think that's key to point out, too. In the last hundred years, within every group, you've had the liberals creating, and, and the liberals have way more in common with each other. I, I'm just waiting for them to create one denomination. That would simplify a lot. Yeah. Because we'll they don't see. really hold any distinctives, whether it's liberal Baptists, liberal Presbyterians. They don't hold the distinctives. Right. But if you if you look at essential loyalty to Trinity, Christology, and gospel, I mean, that number is radically decreased. Yes, and, you know, like I said, uh, my bra- my Baptist brothers and I disagree on baptism and church government, but in terms of who is God, who is man, what is sin, who is Jesus Christ, what is salvation, we're in agreement. Yeah. Now, there are nominal Presbyterians I wouldn't agree on any of those things with, mm-hmm. but um, I there is truth, and it can be known, and it will set you free. And it's not hidden in a hillside that you have to dig it out somewhere. <laughs> you have to open the scriptures, and then you look at how people have actually dealt with those scriptures. One of the things that's a common misunderstanding, um, McCraney and others promote this, it's like, you know, Luther reinvented the church. No, he didn't. Yeah. Um, you know, Lu- Luther, <laughs> Luther recognized what the scriptures teach is radically different than than what we're almost teaching at the time. But Calvin in particular, Calvin quotes the church fathers over 800 times in his final edition of the Institutes uh, to show that the way that the early church was reading the scriptures wasn't the way the reformers were reading it, not the way Rome was. Mm -hmm. Was the early church perfect? No. Were there people who disagreed with it? Yes. But the, Protestant, the, the reform, Reformed faith isn't something new and novel. It is the historic faith reformed according to the Scriptures, constantly holding it up to the light of God's Word. Mm-hmm. Israel didn't cease to be God's covenant people just because there were misunderstandings, you know, there was ignorance within the, the faithful people, but also there were unfaithful people. Yeah. You know... Uh, Elijah looks around and he says, Lord, they've killed your prophets high alone and left. No, God had re- preserved 7,000 men who've not bowed the knee to Baal. You, know, you go through church history, you see there are people who kept trembling at God's word. Were they perfect? No. And Jesus said, the gates of hell, and what is a gate for? 
right? Yes. Is it, <laughs> the gates aren't chasing us. We're supposed to be sieging them. Exactly. And right? he said they would not succeed. Yes. Right. At stopping the church. Right in Matthew, so I, I think this this narrative, and I think especially in America, we're very individualistic, we're very experiential. We have a tendency to think we don't need history, you know, yes. and and this idea that we can go it alone, and that that has bled into the narrative about Luther, that you know, the phoenix rising from the ashes, that that's not Luther. That's not yeah. Luther. I mean, I mean, he had radical moments, don't get me wrong, mm-hmm. where he overdid the point on certain things. But they were not trying to start from scratch. They were not starting over. And and this is this is a pet peeve of mine. You we still see it. Um we still see it in LDS manuals where they talk about the reformers as if they were doing what preparing the world for Joseph Smith. And they'll even include the founders. <laughs> I mean, yes. They have a very weird view of the founders, by the oh, way. So the Benson types, they, so, so Ezra Taft Benson types, they, they think of the founders as almost more reliable than uh, I, I you lose, know, Augustine. I lose track. I think I actually saw something. I may be conflating this with something Seventh-day Adventist, but uh, there was something called uh, the, Re- the Protestant reformers were being called forerunners of the Restoration. Yeah, yep. Mm-hmm. That kind of narrative. I used to say this stuff. I mean, of course, I also used to mock the Trinity, if you can believe that. If anyone deserves hell, it's me. But I, it, it, that is, and Protestants sometimes here, especially here in America, will frame the Reformation that way and not recognize these facts, that they're not, they're not starting something new. Even in Luther's own schooling, he's dealing with people that are reading Romans, recognizing the heresy of Pelagianism. Yes. And if they, and some, sometimes it was just they didn't have access to some of the early church history, like the Council of Orange, I think, in the 6th century, that said that even those who claim the grace of God by the saying of a prayer, let them be anathema. That, that's, that's making heretical not just Pelagianism, but semi-Pelagianism. Well, people forget what a revolution the printing press was. Uh, Luther was asked whether he was a Hussite, and he was like, no, 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 definitely not a Hussite, because he'd heard all these bad things about Jan Hus, uh, John Hus, yeah. as we say it here in America. And uh, he, I, I, I forget if it was the Diet of Worms or where, but he, he ends up reading Hus, and he says, I stand corrected. On the lunch break, right? Yeah. I, I am a Hussite. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, Huss, Huss was martyred over 100 years before Luther nailed the, the 95 Theses to the church door. Yeah. You can go through church history. You can see men like Gottschalk, men like Berengar. Many, um, the, the Council of Hyeria was the... Uh, it was larger than the six previous... It was larger than five of the six previous ecumenical councils, and it declared itself the seventh. And it stood against the idolatry of Rome and the Eastern Orthodoxy. But then it got overturned by Second Council of Nicaea, uh, I want to say 28 years later. Uh, but then that count, Second Council of Nicaea was overturned by the um, uh, Council of Constantinople, uh, I want to say 33 years later, and um, then after that, Theodora came to the throne and she said, no, Second Nicaea is the actual Seventh Ecumenical Council. And it's like, <laughs> and so church history is messy, but 
there are people in America that recognize salvation is all of grace, but they 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 have a restorationist view yeah. that somehow or another the church went into hiding either in the mountains of uh, northern Italy or in the hills of of Wales. It, it went into hiding, and um, you know it. It's been known by different names and this and that and the other. I mean, there's there's conspiracy theory kinds of ideas. Um, there, Rome and Restorationists have a vested interest in presenting the Church after Constantine as monolithic mm-hmm. and fully formed. The reality is that Church wasn't perfect. But even the church uh, in the days of Nicaea stood against many of the things that were adopted just a couple of generations later. Absolutely. And some of the things that Rome and Eastern Orthodoxy teach didn't come around until a thousand years later. Right. But they say they get back to the apostles. Right. Yeah, I think this is something, too, that, Jason, I just appreciate when we worship on Sunday. You know, we, we recite the Nicene Creed every week. Um, and you, you often make a comment, uh, make some comments before to show that, I mean, we don't believe that the faith had to be restored. It's always needed to be reformed. I mean, idolatry comes in. We always have to be leery of innovation. I mean, John Calvin's debate with Satteletto. If, if someone, if people have not read that, I think that's one of the greatest things other than the institutes that Calvin ever wrote, where he talks about how the threat of innovation we're not here to innovate. We're here to preserve the faith that Jesus delivered to the apostles, that the apostles have delivered to the church. And yes, there have been times when it's been more or less faithful, but the essential nature of the faith has not changed, even on this coming Lord's Day when we recite the Nicene Creed. Yes, I mean, you look at the history of Israel. It's God chastised them. You know, there, there, was, there would be generations that would... Uh, forget Joshua, forget the deliverances of, of years past. They would go back, and you, you, you have this cycle of apostasy, repentance, restoration, in, in the sense of within that same covenant. Right, reformation it, within it, the covenant. Right, there was a restoration in terms of a broad sense, but it wasn't a new covenant. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't a new covenant of grace. It wasn't... Um, it wasn't something divorced from everything that had gone before. Instead, it was bringing people back to their, back to the Word, back to their knees, back into fellowship with God's people. You see that Old Testament. You see it in the epistles. Um, the constant call is, come back to the Word, be reformed by the Word. Let the Word correct you, and people drift. And um, what's the answer? You go back to the rock. Yeah. And so, you know, that, that's, that's a key. The, this whole idea of restorationism, if you think that, um, I, I, we just did a video dealing with you know, people claiming that Constantine entered into league with Satan. <laughs> um, you know, there are people who want to make Constantine into the Antichrist. Right. And um, that, that's around here, too. Oh, definitely. And I see a conspiracy theories are rife in Utah. Definitely. 
you, you've got Eastern Orthodoxy and Rome declaring him a saint. You've got others declaring him the Antichrist. He was neither. Right. Was he a true believer? I don't know. We hope. Was he messed up? Yes. Did he have people te- telling him that his sins committed before or after baptism were unforgivable? Yes. Um, so he was getting bad teaching. But the, the, many of the stories that are told about him to try to demonize him or turn him into some um, mythic figure, uh, on the other hand, are clearly false. Right. Um, you know, Eusebius tells the story about him seeing a cross with his army. Uh, that's not the original version of that story. Lactantius said that Constantine personally told him he had a dream the night before the battle, and what he saw wasn't a cross, but rather um, um, the Cairo symbol. And but what what happens is people want to see something that they can use to discount everything between the apostles and themselves. They want to they want a restoration, either through digging something out of a hillside or through some special outpouring of the spirit in uh, Azusa Street or something that. Essentially, we can skip over everything in between. Yeah. Uh, no, we can't. Was Calvin perfect? No. Was Basil a thousand years earlier perfect? No. Were they wrestling with the same scriptures and can we learn from them? Yes. Much of, you know, like we alluded to earlier, much of what you see troubling the church today is the same thing that's been troubling the church throughout its history. And you know the old saying, if, if those who refuse to learn from history are doomed to uh, repeat them, the errors of history. Um, you see the early church dealing with Judaizers. We deal with Judaizing today. People thinking that uh, we need to be circumcising, we need to be, uh, I mean, some literally go that far. Others, we need to be eating a kosher diet, we need to be uh, keeping a Seventh-day Sabbath. Um, we need to be keeping all the feasts of the, the Old feasts Testament. And festivals. Yes. Or um, adding coffee and alcohol to it. Yeah. I mean, it's just a different form. But right. then you've got, well, building temples. Yeah, well, Mitch, we'll get to that. We'll get there. Uh, another early heresy was Arianism. Well, you've got the Unitarians. You've got the, the uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, originally the Soti Adventists, thankfully, they backed up from that fairly early on, but uh, Ellen G. White originally denied the deity of Christ. Wow. Um, it, it, because there's this idea, if, um, if we have to deal with the early church, then we have to deal with infant baptism. We have to deal with Council of Nicaea. We have to deal with all these other things. Icons. Let's just... Let's just throw them all out. Mm-hmm. And some things need to be thrown out. Icons. Mm-hmm. They're not historical. They're not biblical. But the it you either have a conspiracy theory or you have some event where somebody's restoring the one true church to the earth. They're both wrong. Yep. 
we can deal with history biblically. In all its messiness. In all its messiness. Yeah. And uh, people are like, um, Martin Luther was an anti-Semite. And it's like, so was Chrysostom. Right. Um, and we should there's acknowledge a, there's, there's errors. A, and, right? there's, and there's a, are they the monsters people want to make them out to be? Um, humanly speaking, not really. Were there errors? Of course. But um, people, in the same way Mormons look for excuses, other people look for excuses. Instead of dealing with what the reformers actually said, they'll say, you know, Calvin kills uh, Servetus. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And tired. Yeah, I'm tired of that yeah. one. <laughs> we'll link to your video and, on and, that. And I, I ask people, can we talk about that? Right. They've heard a sound bite. They have no context. They don't. They don't know what the issues are. We're living in an unparalleled time of peace and prosperity in this country. And people tend to take what we're experiencing and assume it is the norm rather than recognizing it is the aberration. And the reason we're enjoying these privileges is because people before us did the hard work. But now we become fat and happy and we become decadent. And, you know, it's like no Christian could ever do such a thing. Well, actually, uh, there's a reason for Christians doing some of the things they've done. Um, Does that make everything right? No. But can we actually look at the scriptures and talk about these things? No, they don't want to. They want to. They they want to sit in judgment over everyone who's gone before them, Mm -hmm. and dismiss them. Yeah. Entirely. It's it's a very modernist um, arrogance. C.S. Lewis actually is pretty good on this one, right? Oh, yeah, because yeah. C.S. Lewis points out, it's like it's not that they don't have errors; they just have different errors. Yes, we we, we tend know? to be very good at. I forget how he phrased it, but basically, we tend to be very good at seeing the errors in previous generations, but not our own. Yes, yeah, and I I really think that's great. You know, um, it's. Once again, it's not that it's we're uncritical. We're we're not following blindly tradition, but we're not throwing it out blindly either, right? I mean, it's not you know we are we can look at Western history, see its errors based on Christian standards, but we can also see how Christianity has transformed the world for the better as well. So there's a real sense in which there has been progress, and we've come as you often say, we have come a long way since an upper room. And if you're if you have a gap between what the apostles and Luther, you're wrong, <laughs> right? I mean, it's just yes. you know Christ didn't put a comma <laughs> and say, well, and you know for fifteen hundred years there there may be huge time gaps. No, there's going to be a church, and it's going to be there. And yes, I feel like when I often engage in in conversations about the history of Christianity, which of course is more than the West, but has shaped the West. Um, you know, it's like, do you want me just to admit right off the top, right off the bat, you know, that uh, Christians are sinners? Because I will. Yeah, Christians are sinners. <laughs> but and but look at the good that's come as well. You can't just look at the bad and not take into account the good. One of, one of the things with perfectionism is you, you see it with, with some of the Anabaptists uh, when they couldn't exercise 
when they couldn't usher in the kingdom themselves, when they were thwarted in those efforts to usher it in with the sword, uh, then they, they basically said no Christian can sully his hands with anything in this world. Christian can't be a police officer. He can't be a soldier. He can't be the king. He can't be anything. He can't have anything to do with the evil of this world. That's monasticism. Mm-hmm. This at is, its worst. At its worst, and when Christian, you know, we, I'm thankful for Constantine. Yes, me too. I'm thankful for Ronald Reagan. Mm-hmm. Uh, was Ronald Reagan um, perfect? No, no. But would you really rather live under um, the, the the present the, the current? Governor of California, <laughs> you know I. Yeah. There are people who are looking for the tr- um, the church in this world will never be perfect enough for them to love, and so they want to see everything fail. They want to see Christians withdraw. They want to see things fall apart because that means Jesus is coming to rapture them away all the sooner. No, mm-hmm. we're called to be salt and light. We're to be in the world, but not of it. There's a tension. Uh, can a Christian be a king? Yes. Does that mean that he will have to execute people? Yes. Can he do that righteously? Yes. Can he do it unrighteously? Yes. Will God judge him? Yes. But people want to just make it all so simple and um, look for reasons not to actually deal with the messiness. Uh I can appreciate the reformers without trying to make them my standard. My standard's Christ. Right. So. Yeah, absolutely. And one thing, just to reiterate this, and then I'll ask you a different question, but I recently was studying Peter Martyr Vermigli's Dialogues on the Nature of Christ, which relates to the Lord's Supper, the debates of the time. And I'm just struck how faithful he was to the Scriptures, but also so conscious he was of those who came before. Mm-hmm. But once again, not throwing it all out, but not blindly accepting all of it either, or just claiming what they imagine is tradition when it's not. And I just think that's the standard. And, and to contrast that with Mormonism, so much of Mormonism is invested simultaneously in personal revelation on one hand, and in the leadership of the church, the way they talk about the leaders to us on the outside, especially me coming out of it, it's... There, I, I mean, there's a clip we can put in from, uh, you know, a famous f- women spokesman of the LDS community, uh, very cute, uh, talking about Nelson being as near to perfect as, I mean, you know, as possible. It's so funny. They have so much invested in the leaders, and yet in my lifetime they will contradict each other. Yes. You know, Benson will say the Constitution is this, 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 you're going to lose your exaltation if you let the Constitution fail, this, this, this. You never hear that anymore, right? And, uh, I mean, and, and that's that's pretty soft compared to what we're going to land on with the temple, but it's just amazing that so much of the past is how we imagine it to be rather than how it really is. You know, we, we read Augustine, we see the same faith. I mean, does not mean we agree on every articulation? Or the, no, no. But we also have the benefit of hindsight that he didn't. Where Irenaeus, I think, is maybe even a better example. Would we articulate everything the same way as Irenaeus? No. But he was faithful 
He was faithful in defending the flock, Christ's people, from the errors of Gnosticism. And who are we to look at and think we could do any better, given what we have, right? I just think it's a totally different mindset, and I hope our LDS listeners, even in how we talk about it, will hear the difference. And how even with LDS leaders now, they're not faithful to a lot of the early teachings, certainly not Brigham Young. They need his authority, of course. But Brigham Young teaching Michael is God, blood atonement, you know, what he taught in the temple. Um, they will completely contradict They're not even faithful to their own history is what I'm saying. Yeah. And this is the, the era of restorationism. Where is the line? There's this. It's not just a slippery slope. It's a slippery reality. Yeah, the, I see that for many Mormons, it's almost as if every day is a, is a, is a new restoration. Yeah. Because they don't want to own, I mean, Mormonism is built on the truth of the Book of Mormon, the truth of Joseph Smith's vision, the truth of Brigham Young is continuing uh, this, this line of prophets and so on. But they can't. Right. Because it contradicts. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they'll try to say, well, Noah said that, uh, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm getting old. He said Jonah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, said that judgment was coming on Nineveh, and it didn't come. He was a false prophet. No. No, the, the, the warning is there. You see all through the, the prophets. But we're not talking about people repenting and God staying his hand. We're talking about something totally different. And... You know, the, the ultimate test, I mean, you have uh, in Deuteronomy, if a, if a prophet says something doesn't come to pass, he's not a prophet. Um, that's within the context of everything else that we see in the Old Testament. Joseph Smith doesn't, it's not the same. But more fundamentally, if he says, let us go after other gods whom you've not known, you don't listen. The God of the Bible is not an exalted man. No. In fact, God, he says that. I'm not a man like you. God, you the, think I'm like you. I'm the, not. The, 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 the gospel is not about man becoming God, but God condescending to become a man to redeem fallen creatures. Yeah. Amen. And, you know, it, it's restorationism, like you said, it has no, it has no stopping point because you, you look at... You look at Seventh-day Adventism. You look at all these various restorationist ideas. They keep having to change. They keep having to change again and again and again, and they they distance themselves. When was the church restored? Well, it's ongoing. So the changes that and imperfections that you see that supposedly prove that there was a great apostasy, you're seeing changes and all in your church, but that's not the great apostasy. <laughs> Parawan prophet says otherwise. <laughs> Parawan prophet. I was going to say there's Denver snuffer. Once yes. again, it, I mean, it's funny. They'll look at the disagreements Christians have as evidence against it, but they don't look at the disagreements among Mormons as evidence against that. Yes. It's, it's very much a double standard. And I hope they hear once again, the Bible is our standard. That's what's God's breathed. We're all Irenaeus and you. And me, we're all accountable to that. 
That being said, we always have an eye toward that promise that Christ made, that there is going to be a church, the gate of Hades will not prevail against it. And we're not looking to in be to have experiences or to reveal anything new. We're looking to contend for the faith delivered once for all to the saints. Well, one of the things they do is they look at they look at things in the past uh, to some extent, like a uh, Norman Rockwell portrayal of an idealistic past, and they say, "Well, clearly we have fallen from that, and <laughs> things, you know." Things were getting worse and worse. Therefore, we needed a prophet to come and restore everything. Mm-hmm. The, the Old Testament prophets didn't come to restore. They came, no. they came as messengers of the covenant to, um, you know, the, you'll hear the, the scholars talk about the suzerain vassal treaty. They come as the ambassador, <laughs> yes. reminding them of the sanctions mm-hmm. of that treaty. But they, they come calling people back to the word, back to the things they've already received. Mm-hmm. Are there additional revelations? Yes, but it's an unfolding. And this ties in, you, you were talking about the temple. This, uh, Yes, there were changes in that when God called Israel out of Egypt, he, made, he, he had covenanted with Abraham and with his seed after him. He takes them down into Egypt. When he brings them out again, he gives them a tabernacle. He gives them uh, priesthood. He gives them uh, a land. He gives them civil laws. He gives them all these various things. And Israel becomes a nation. But all of these are foreshadowings of what's coming in a greater Joshua. In, a, in, a, in the prophet like Moses, whom the people will hear, in a greater David's greater son, all these things are unfolding, but it's not discontinuity. It's not something totally different. It is, it's the unfolding. And so, you know, one of the things that people, people will look and say, well, we don't have circumcision anymore. Yeah, we do. We have circumcision made without hands. Colossians 2. Um, we don't have Passover anymore. Yes, we do. Lord's Supper. Um, we we don't have um, the Sabbath anymore. Yeah, we do. The Lord's Day. Yeah, and the, and those are all covered. Are things called eternal, right? If I'm yes, not mistaken, yes, they are, yes, they're eternal. The newer and better covenant is not newer and better than the covenant made with Abraham. It's newer and better than the covenant I made with your fathers when I brought them out of Egypt. That's what he's telling them. It is the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant. And when you see that continuity, you can understand the, 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 the unfolding. Um, you know, from the promise of the seed of the woman bruising the head of the serpent to Revelation 22 with the restoration of the tree of life and all these things, it's one gospel. Yeah. But is it all given in one package? No. But there's continuity. Well, does that mean that the Book of Mormon can can be an, um, another test, another yeah. testament of Jesus mm-hmm. Christ? No, it's totally contrary to everything that's gone before it. Yep, it's modalist. It's funny. It it doesn't even sound ancient. It sounds like a confused. I should <laughs> I should say heretical evangelical from America in the eighteen thirties is what it sounds like. 
I, I, we brought this up last time, and then we'll move on from this a little bit. Um, though this is completely relevant with where we're heading. Um, you know, Moroni 8. You know, and I know some of this is distinctives we'd have with our brothers here at First Baptist, but but I think they would agree on this point, right? Which is, that's not a white Native American, you know, 2,000 years ago or whatever it is. That's that's Joseph Smith who hates Presbyterians talking. Yes. <laughs> like, this was oh. not an ancient Native American debate over whether you can baptize babies in you know of believers surely you're in the gall he's in the gall of bitterness <laughs> yeah. and if he dies in the thought there must go down in the flames of hell yeah this is um, this is an evangelical debate from the 1820s this well, is not this is not oh, a debate among ancient native americans i i used to know the name of them what what's the group that was condemned for having the high pulpit um i wish i knew i'm sorry oh it's 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 in the book of mormon but basically oh yeah 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 i know what you're talking about but yeah if you if you know Presbyterianism, it, it's it's as if you have this sort of inane history punctuated with these monologues against Presbyterianism. <laughs> jo, jo, Joseph Smith's mo, Joseph Smith's mother and sisters, and one brother, I believe, all joined the Presbyterian Church. He never did. Uh, he always liked uh, Methodism more, but you can hear echoes of um, like the Westminster Shorter Catechism in the Book of Mormon. And, you know, of, of the various sources, you know, they've, they've pointed out, you know, the Sermon on the Mount, <laughs> chapters out of Isaiah and things like this. But one of the things that was definitely there was uh, the Westminster Shorter Catechism as well. And... Um, um, Oh, you know, what is the chief end of man? Man's chief yeah. end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And, you know, the Mormon version of that is... Let's see, Adam fell that man might, might be. And man is yeah. that he might have joy. Yeah, we got there. We got yeah, there, yeah, listeners. Yeah, yeah. So we'll put it in the footnote. Hey, everyone. Brendan here. Hope you're enjoying the interview between Skyler and Jason thus far. Due to the length of the interview, we have divided it into part one and part two. So this concludes part one. There's a lot more good conversation to be had in the second part, and you should post see that post probably about a week from now. But I hope you have enjoyed the conversation thus far, and we look forward to having you join us again for the next part of it. Thank you, and have a wonderful day.